I'm at the bottom of it, and I figured it out. But what I think is interesting is, I've done some reading, and this all goes back decades, really. Yeah. It goes back to the Minsk Agreement, and when Ukraine was never um, its own country until the USSR dissolved. And the USSR drew their borders, kind of. But there was a Minsk Agreement, apparently, which said that they would not become part of NATO. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what happened when our illustrious vice president was over there? He encouraged. She, she encouraged. She just she encouraged Ukraine. Why don't you join NATO? Right. It's like, so you know, I know that Putin, Putin, however you say his name, uh, he's not a righteous individual. He's 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 got his problems, but so does Zelensky. And when I look at Ukraine and I see that Soros is backing Ukraine and, mm -hmm. you know, it's just There's messy. There's no good guys in the situation. No, yeah, the and I, the, the yeah. people we feel bad for are the average the people. people of yeah. Ukraine yeah. and the average yes. people of Russia. There's an interesting biblical parallel there with, with the former Soviet Union because yeah. Stalin did like the Assyrians and the Babylonians, essentially. Yeah. He, he mixed all the ethnic groups he up. Did. He exported yeah. the Russians out to Ukraine. Yeah. And now they're all stranded out there in these other countries. Yeah, and, it, and it's being used as an excuse to yeah. try to redraw borders. And, and Ukraine hasn't been exactly friendly to the Russian-speaking people in the Ukraine area. Yeah. I mean, it's just—it's just they, they bomb civilians that, yeah. in Donbass. Yeah. That's you don't yeah. hear that in the media, but they no. It, it's really frustrating. Sylvia and I love watching documentaries, and we've been watching <clears throat> the West. Ken Burns, the West, and uh, you sit there and you go, "Well, if everything can." I mean, he was the executive producer, but if everything they're telling us in this series is true, it simply proves very that sad. people are people and nothing changes. That's it. People are people and... That is it. I mean, it is incredible the way the Native Americans treated other Native American tribes and then the settlers came and then the, they started... It's just like, this is ugly. This been going on since the beginning. Oh my goodness, yeah. yeah. And then we watched another one started the other night because um, we get PBS through Prime and it, it was on Coney Island and I, I, I used to live in New York City. I was born and raised there. And I told Sylvia, I said, you know, I've never been to Coney Island. I was never there as a kid. I've, I've never. And I guess I just haven't I don't know why. Anyway, we started watching it, and I'm going, I I'm kind of glad I wasn't there because <laughs> yeah, was there were some really depravity. cool innovations <laughs> that came out of Coney Island. I mean, electricity and unbelievable stuff. Uh, roller coaster, that's the first, the whole thing. But people were just bawdy and evil and criminal, and you had, way back in 1903 and 1905, you had politicians who figured out how to turn the vote to their favor by using voting fraud and registering wow. more people that lived in the area. Of course, back then, they were actually caught and went to prison for right. years. Yeah, he did go Today, to prison. that's no big deal. But um, it, it's just amazing because the more we watch these documentaries, the more you realize people are people. Doesn't That's matter what sad. generation, doesn't matter who is who. Uh, it's it's all the same. We're all fallen creatures, corrupt, and, and it's hard sometimes to sift through that and really get to the truth. And then when you get there, you go, "Wow, that is was that ugly." Door locked? Somebody locked oh, out. Know yeah, oh, no. it is locked. Is it? Oh, yeah, because You know, part of the thing on Coney Island was interesting, and I didn't mean to get off on this, but I guess it in some way indirectly connects. They had on Coney Island, they had all these elephants. As they just walk around on that island. You know, as part of the 
atmosphere. And this one particular elephant, I felt bad for the elephants. It's like, why aren't they in a really a free range kind of, you know, if they can't be in the wild, I get it. But So they were just range. And I guess this one particular elephant wound up killing three men because they're elephants. <laughs> they're, wild. they're wild elephants. And this idiot decided, hey, I'm going to light my cigarette and try and feed it to the elephant. Uh, and so, it, so he tried that, and the elephant decided, no, I'm not having that, and here's what I got for you, and winds up killing him. Well, then they decided the elephant needed to die. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, leave it to stupid people. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes, but take it out on the elephant. Yeah. So about that time, then Edison's oh, yeah. electricity, you remember this? You remember yeah. this? Yeah, yeah. you've heard yes. of this. Uh, his electricity was just becoming the thing. So they were going to hang the elephant. I'm thinking to myself, gee, manie, what is wrong with people? So then the ASPCA got involved and said, no, you can't do that. And so they said, okay, we won't do that. We'll electrocute it instead. And, and here they literally electrocuted this as part of the show, the part of the show. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with people? But then I have to catch myself and realize what's wrong with people is it's a sin problem that yes. has always existed. It exists today and it will exist until we go to our Lord and he will graciously remove our sin nature from. Amen. Yeah. I, I said to Mark, I think I said it to Mark this morning, yeah. won't it be nice when we get there and we won't even know what it, it will be like to be tempted mm -hmm. to sin anymore? I mean, that to me is incredible. Mm -hmm. but, but people are people. Well, enough of that soapbox. It does tie into this. So, hi, Jeff. Hi, Kristen. Mm -hmm. How are you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> good? Your, your hand doing okay from the surgery? Your wrist? Well, yeah, really good. All right, well, All right. let me open in a word of prayer, if you don't mind, and we will get right into where we left off. Lord, thanks for your word. And we are thankful that we can gather and talk about it, learn about it, toss ideas around, discuss it, and through your guidance, hopefully come to the truth, what you actually mean. And we thank you for this time that we have. Be with us. Thanks for all those gathered here, and be with us, and... Uh, glorify yourself in our midst. We pray these things in your precious Son's name, Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. Oh, you know what I forgot? I forgot to put my... Oh, your clicker? My clicker. Here it is. Here's my clicker. Y'all had a good day today? Oh, yeah. It got warmer. It did. Wind, <laughs> it got wind died down really hell. Yesterday was miserable. <laughs> Yes, yesterday was. Were you out in it? No more than I could help. <laughs> Today was pretty decent, though. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. We've had a hawk that has uh, started looking seriously at our chickens. <laughs> so we can't let them out. Of no. our, we have it netted and everything. It was a, it was a process building this thing because I thought just putting a fence around the area would be great yeah. and a gate. You know. Raccoons, possums, hawks can get in there. So I had to cover the whole thing with a net and make sure it was secure. So the chickens don't understand that. They don't like it when they can't get out in free range, but we want them to continue making eggs. Yes. <laughs> Not to be meat for a hawk. Okay, so last time we were right here. We ended with the ten kings. And these are the birth pangs 
according to what Christ revealed in the Olivet Discourse. And um, what's interesting about all this stuff is as we covered them, they, they lead. They, it's progressive. And I don't mean that in a leftist sort of way. It just progressively <laughs> goes from one to the next. And so we wound up right here. Now, I also mentioned that the first three, I, I, and it says right there, the first three events have occurred in history so far, at least to my way of understanding. And most conservative scholars, uh, biblical scholars, tend to agree that World War I, World War II fulfilled when Jesus said, um, what, yeah, right. When he said, um, nation, yes, well, no, he said nation against, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And we talked about the fact that that was a Jewish idiom, which simply means the area in view will be in total war. And what he was talking about in the, math, in the Olivet Discourse was the world, not just Palestine, not just the Middle East, but the world. And so that began to be filled with World War One, and then quickly followed by World War Two. You know, when you look at a lot of scholars, um, historic history scholars, they'll tell you that World War Two is really a continuation yeah. of World War One, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, with different players. But it really was a continuation in some ways. So that was the fulfilled one. And then Israel becoming a state in 1948. Uh, that happened, obviously. And that was also in fulfillment of Ezekiel 36, 22, 24, and Isaiah 11, 11 through 12, 6. So it talks about the fact that they would be regathered in unbelief, which is exactly what happened, and that's what's there today. Um, you talk to the average Jew over there, and they're social Jews. They love being Jewish because they have that bond. It's like for them family. But then within that group, you have the uh, very orthodox Jews who are, you know, man, they spend their time at the prayer wall, um, you know, the wailing wall, they, they do all kinds of stuff because they really believe, and God bless them, they really believe that that's what God needs to hear from them, and, and he does to a certain extent, and one day that unbelief will turn to belief, we know that from the scriptures. And then Jerusalem united under Jewish control, they became a nation in 1948, which is a miracle in and of itself, that the UN said, okay, yeah. we give you our permission. Yeah. Okay, but... How many years later, the Six-Day War <clears throat> brought about the united area of East and West Jerusalem. Prior to that, it had been controlled. Only, I believe, uh, Israel had only the west, western portion of Jerusalem. Six-Day War, with, led by Moshe Dayan, their troops went in and captured the whole thing, and, including the Temple Mount. So that became united, and it was in the, obviously in the 60s. Now, we've got... This one that we're looking at, the, we talked about that kind of in depth in the last week or two, the Russian and allied invasion of Israel, Ezekiel 38 to 39, which is also the Gog-Magog War. And we noted that there are differences of opinion about when this could happen. It could happen before the tribulation. Some people basically say, well, this is really another description of uh, Armageddon. And they have very good reasons for uh, that viewpoint. So they, those people put that at the end of uh, the tribulation. Others say, no, no, no. There's going to be another one right at the end of the thousand-year period. It's really hard, as I mentioned last week, to sit there and dogmatically say, oh, no, no. You're wrong and you're wrong. It's got to be this one. I can't do that. I won't do that. So this is simply where I fall because it makes the most sense to me. 
but that doesn't mean to say, and I said this last time, that I'm 100% correct. We're going to know when it happens, if we're still here for when it happens, whenever that happens to be. But it doesn't really affect us directly. It's just something to keep in mind because we look at what's happening in Ukraine and Russia right now, and there are possibilities that this could become that. Yeah. But there are plenty of reasons why it may not become that at all. We don't know, you know? So, now, the, we do know that this kingdom here, which is mentioned in Daniel 7, 23 to 24, talks about a one-world stage. And uh, we're getting there. We will eventually get there. When will that happen? I don't know. I go on the internet and people are like, well, we're real close. Well, it kind of feels like that, but we don't really know, do we? We don't know. I have no clue when the tribulation is going to start. Matter of fact, I have no clue how much longer God gave me to live, period. I don't know. I really don't know. So all we know is that obviously things are wor working toward this point. I've read two really great articles recently, one by Martin Armstrong, who's an economist, and another one by uh, an investigative reporter. And both of them, interestingly enough, their articles were weeks apart, and both of them conclude that the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab, they're, they're both going to fail. The whole thing is just going to fall apart for them. And they state their reasons why. Okay, it might. It might happen. Now, what does that mean for this? Nothing. Because this is still going to happen. Why? How do we know that? Because the Bible tells us it's going to happen. Just like it tells us that Jesus is going to physically return one day. So whether Klaus Schwab, and let's face it, Klaus Schwab is what, in his 80s? Kissinger is what, 250 or something like that? I don't know how that man is still alive, but Klaus Schwab was mentored by three men, Her Herman Kahn, Henry Kissinger, and John Galbraith. And they all, to a certain degree, have this view that what we need to do is make this super state, including the United States with Europe, make a super state. The way you do that is by handpicking people as leaders and put them all over the place in various yeah, governments and through the world. We know that Klaus Schwab has done that because yeah. he said it. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, is this conspiracy? No, he said it. And he's, he's bragged about it, yeah. putting all these people in cabinet positions in the French government. And the French people are like, what? So when they ask them about it, they're cut off. They're cut off. They're just ignored. So anyway, we know this will happen. Whether Klaus Schwab is around when this happens is another story altogether. But Satan will be. And that's what he needs to do. And God, at that some point, whether it's now or then, will basically give Satan the nod and say, now's your time. Go for it. And we know that that's what Satan's job was and what he's always wanted to do because when he fell, what happened? When he fell, Isaiah 14, and what is it, Ezekiel 28, I believe? What did he say? I will be like, like five I wills. I will be like the most high. I will ascend, I will take my throne and ascend. I will be like the most high. That has been his goal. Mm -hmm. And he's so smart 
forgive me, he's stupid. He does, he is so arrogant that he does not realize he didn't create anything. God created him and he acts as if he is self-made, self-created or always was here. So God is going to allow this and then he's going to allow this, which is what we talked about last week. Once we get here, whenever that is, whenever that is, it will break into 10 kingdoms, 10 districts. It'll still be this, but it'll be controlled by 10 individual kings. And when we get to Revelation 13 and Revelation 17, if we get there this year, we'll uh, know exactly. <laughs> it just takes so long sometimes to get through. I could, I was telling Dave today, I said, you know, I could go straight through Revelation and try not to do any other portion of scripture, but it's it's really hard to do it that way. So uh, I, I hope you can bear with me when we're doing this, and then we have to go off into here, and then we get back to Revelation for a bit, and then we go and expand on it some more from there. So eventually it's going to be into a 10 district, one world government, be ruled by 10 people. And when it gets to this point, Antichrist, whoever he happens to be, will go, now's my time to make the move. Now don't forget, He's probably, if the tribulation is that not that far into the future, he's probably alive now. He's probably working behind the scenes. He's probably not Klaus Schwab, because Klaus Schwab is extremely old, and I don't know how much. He doesn't know how long he's going to live, but you never know. Um, one of his top advisors, I forget the dude's name, Havarti or something like that, that guy, that guy is his top advisor, and that guy is very young. Who knows? Anyway, Antichrist, when he gets to this point, will go, oh, okay, there's my sign. There's my sign. So I'm going to start warming my way up, up the ladder. So that's where we left off last time. And I just want to remind everyone, this period of the rapture, as I said, that's not set in stone. For me, it kind of is, but you may not be at that. You may not see the rapture here. You may see it after the uh, tribulation starts. You may see it at the end of the tribulation. Totally fine. I'm not going to place any bets on, not that I'm a betting person, but if I were, I wasn't gonna, I'm not going to place any bets on the rapture happening before the tribulation. As I mentioned last week, I'm preparing for things to get worse. Globally, economically, financially, you know, I'm just preparing for it. I'm not, I'm not getting ready to bug out or anything, but... Um, I'm just making wise decisions, I think. My wife and I would put our heads together and go, okay, what stuff should we stock up on? What things do we need that we should buy now? Because if we don't buy it now, in six months it's going to be twice the cost because of the rate of inflation that's happening now. That to me is just common sense. Um, so and there's, what don't we need to get? Well, let's, let's hold off on the new floor. I certainly won't get wood for new shutters. Who cares? You know what I mean? You just make... I, what I think are hopefully wise decisions. Um, but I'm not going to worry about it. So, once we get to this point, and, and as I said here, here's the rapture, possibly. But also, this is the period of Laodicean apostasy. That's the way I view it. And I know there are a number of ways to view this. Marcus presented one, absolutely viable. He makes some very, very good points. I tend to see this period that we're in as kind of mirroring the Laodicean church. And I yeah. see that because I see so many people, and I, and I hope I'm not repeating myself, I may have mentioned this last week, 
So many people who have been leaders within Christendom coming out and saying, you know what? I'm not a Christian anymore. Or, you know what? Uh, my wife and I are still friends, but we're divorcing. And I'm not a Christian any longer, and I'm going to give up the pastor. Oh, and I'm gay. <laughs> that's the kind of, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, the, that's what we're hearing. More and more and more. Leaders who have been in the pulpit for 10, 15, 20 years, who have written best-selling books, who, you know, and, and the great falling away is upon us. So I see this as a Laodicean period, and I, I see it only getting worse. But, but I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know. I mean, I love this church. I was just telling Sylvia, I said, you know, Mark's sermon today was, I gave him, I told him, I said, Mark, it was a nine and a half, man. <laughs> no, I was kidding. I said, it was really good sermon. Good sermon. Why? Because what he was sharing was absolute truth about the way Christians are supposed to be with one another. Yeah. And what Sylvia and I notice about the people in this church is that it's kind of easy to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And really? you and I have probably been to churches where it's like, not mm -hmm. that easy to yeah. do. Mm -hmm. You know? But here, it's like, you just get this sense that people have an affinity for one another. They actually care about one another. Yeah. And it's like, I'll take that any day. Plus, you get Mark's preaching. Mm -hmm. Goodness, man. I'm, we're blessed. We are. I get emails from people asking me, do you have any idea what church I can go to? I live here. It's like, I wish I did. Although I'm finding out some people that are actually creating databases. Yeah, Brandon Holthouse. Brandon Holthouse is creating a database for different parts of the country where people can maybe hook up with somebody. I mean, it, it's, for some people, it's a real drought. Mm -hmm. It's a real drought. And I, I, I tell them, I said, well, if you can't find a church, look for some Christians that you can start getting together with because we all need that. Yeah. We all need that. You know, iron sharp and iron, we just help one another. Prop each other up. Pray for one another. Okay, so we're going to move on to birth pang number seven. And I really would like to get this done tonight. Antichrist power begins here in earnest, as I mentioned. The tribulation can't begin without the Antichrist. It can't, because he's the guy who creates that document that people, Israel will sign with Arab nations. He's going to broker it. That's what's going to make... That's what's the thing that's going to make him like, the world's going to go, wow, that guy is really the man of peace. Every president of the United States since before Jimmy Carter has tried to bring peace over to the Middle East. Every one of those guys failed. Why? Because this guy is the guy who's going to do it. But we also know that the peace he brings is not going to be real and it's not going to last. So, the tribulation, in my view, begins with the covenant. The seal of the first rider, which we'll get into uh, soon, hopefully. The first rider coming in on the white horse. He has a bow, no arrows, and he wears a crown. And uh, he's that guy. He brokers an agreement or a covenant with Israel, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. We went over that. I think we'll be going over it again. So this is the kicking off point of the tribulation. I'm sorry, I said Revelation 4. It's actually Revelation 6. Um, so he comes with bow, no arrows. He conquers the world politically. He will literally be seen as the savior of the world. Literally. 
people will go literally gaga over this guy. They'll go, wow. I mean, think about it. Think about it. For um, ever since I've been alive, there's been turmoil. Been turmoil in the Middle East. And I was born in 57. Ever since then. Before then, there's been turmoil in the Middle East. It's never been peace. But Israel, as I mentioned last week, has always been able to deal with their issues. When they were first attacked in the Six-Day War, they were attacked on a Sabbath. So they couldn't fight back. So they started losing. Well, as soon as the Sabbath was over, they went to town. They not only pushed back, uh, they won, and they pushed back, and they regained land that they hadn't had in a few thousand years, at least. So it's pretty amazing. So, and, and ever since then, like we talked about last week when they dwelt securely, they do. They feel like they can handle anything that comes their way. So they'll be, he'll be seen as the savior of the world. And as far as Islam is concerned, this is the fascinating thing. As far as Islam is concerned, he will be what they call the final Mahdi. He's the guy. He is the dude. And I didn't include this on this slide, but uh, if you look at the New Age, you ever study the New Age? Alienology, any of that stuff? Okay. So if you study alienology and if you study the New Age, you will find that they are also waiting for a guy yeah. by the name Maitreya, right? And they're waiting for this guy. So when this individual comes on the, on the, the scene, he will fill the shoes of Christian, Christ. He will, he will be seen as the final Mahdi for Islam and for the New Age movement, he will be welcomed as the Maitreya. So... It's all going to coalesce in this one guy. It's pretty fascinating. Do you think Muslim or a Jew? Which one? Good question. I don't, honestly, I don't know. I've read, I think, what I, what I believe to be every opinion about that. I, I really don't know. The Jews, I think, might have a hard time with a Muslim. They'll deceive the Jews, though, right? Exactly. However, I think the Jews are, are, are open to talking with a Muslim if that Muslim comes alongside them and makes them feel like he has their back. They've already done that a couple of times with a number of Muslim leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, if it does come out of the Roman sector, mm-hmm. then probably it's going to be Christian. Yeah. Or, yeah. I honestly just don't know. I don't either. I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, it'd be interesting to see the dude. I mean, you know, as long as he doesn't catch me in, the, in his line of sight. But it'd be interesting to see what this, who he is and what this guy is going to be like. He, he well, could, I've heard something else, too, and I don't know if you've ever come across this. Because you wonder why they're pushing all this transgender. Oh. <laughs> and I've, I've also, there's a scripture that says something about the Antichrist. It says he will re- reject... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard that. And, and I've, I've heard people say that it's a possibility that he may be like Yeah, that. and I've also heard that people, you know, some commentators believe that alludes to the fact that he's gay and isn't interested in women, or he's not gay, but he's just not interested in women. He's like a celibate, a eunuch. Or maybe you know, he's so. transgender. It could be transgender, you know? I mean, it's a fascinating thing, and it's good that they're violent. Schwab and his gang are pushing that so much. Well, they're pushing it because they want to live forever. They want to live forever. That's why they're pushing it. 
Were you going to say something, Jeff? Sorry. I, I, I think in, in, in Islam, don't they teach that he will deceive the, the Jew? And oh, probably, yeah. He, will, yeah, he you, will be a Muslim and he will deceive the Jew into peace? Yes, and the, the interesting yeah, thing is so I have indeed. the Quran in three different versions and I've read it. And when, when you talk to a Muslim about it, most of them have never read it. No. They, they're not really told to read it. Right. Like Catholics, when my wife was growing up. Most Christians read never read the Bible. I'm sorry? Most Christians have never read the Bible. Right. And, and Catholics were told, no, don't read it. We'll mm -hmm. tell you what it says. Yeah, we'll you tell can you what understand it, means. it. So it's the same in, in Islam, too. But you're right, too. All right. So, in the Orthodox Church, it's the same. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, there's so much fascination. I don't know if you've had time or inclination, but if you study the New Age, it's absolutely fascinating what they believe. They're not just people who go, oh, and they want to feel good. No, no, no. They, they have some really interesting beliefs that actually parallel Scripture, but they're changed slightly. For instance, we talked about the rapture. Well, the New Age teaches a rapture. They don't, they don't know when it's going to happen, but they don't call it, of course, the rapture. They call it the great evacuation. Literally, this has been taught since the 50s. Barbara Marciniak was the most recent writer to propose this or, or put it forth, continue it. But she said, in a twinkling of an eye, literally, yeah. in a twinkling of an eye, 20 million or more people will be gone off the face of the earth. And you're, you're like, yeah, that's the rapture. But the way they explain it is, UFOs will be hovering just out of sight above the clouds, and these people will be trucked up with big, long beams, invisible beams. They'll be taken up to these things, and then guess where? They're taken to other planets, where they will be allowed to evolve at their own rate. She refers to these people as, guess what? Malcontents. That's us. Yeah, we keep we're keeping the we're keeping like the, nirvana from coming. We're keeping the earth yeah. from progressing to its next spiritual level. We're 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 making we're grieving Gaia, so we need to be gone. And and then she says, but don't don't grieve for them, because they're home. They're going home. And I'm thinking to myself, if only she knew what she was saying. She's actually describing a biblical event, and yes, we will be going home, but the way they're going to manage, imagine when the rapture happens, whenever it does, okay? Pre, mid, post, doesn't matter. Imagine when it happens. All these New Age leaders are going to stand up and say, folks, 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 no, calm down, calm down, calm this, we talked, we told you about this. This was supposed to happen, remember? Don't worry about them, they're fine, they're going home. But now we can move to the next spiritual plane, but we need to do it together. That's the way it's going to be introduced. And, you know, when you, I don't know how many Christians don't read, and I'm not saying you necessarily should, but it's amazing what they tell us in their books. And most of us don't even know because we don't even read them. But it's amazing. Or just, we don't listen to Klaus Schwab brag. <laughs> about all the people that he's handpicked and hand-trained in his young globalist school and then places in governments like Canada and I'm sure the U.S. as well. Um, Newsom in California is mm -hmm. one. Uh, Dan Crenshaw, sadly, is one. Well, uh, Gabby Tull... Is that what's her name? Tulsi yeah. Gabbard. She is one. There's, there's a ton of them. Is it Nancy all, Pelosi? I'm sorry? Is it Nancy Pelosi, too? 
I have. I don't think she could understand. Sorry. The woman in New Zealand, Oregon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacinta. Yeah, Jacinta. Yeah, yeah. They're they're all bought and paid for, and they're they're getting plenty of perks and plenty of good things to do what they're doing. But there's a little truth in every lie. Yeah. Yes. Yes, sir. All right. Birth bank seven. Here it is. So once this happens, then this happens. Then we're going to next see, if we happen to be here, then we're next going to see this guy. Rise up. Take charge. And as I mentioned previously, he's going to rise up, and he's going to look at these ten, and he's going to subdue three of them. And one of the translations translates it uproot. He's going to uproot. So it could mean he's going to kill them, which, why wouldn't he? He's totally empowered by Satan. He knows nothing's going to happen to him. So he could kill them to make a point, and then all of a sudden the remaining seven turn around and go, okay, we're going to do exactly what you need us to do. And now the 11th guy, who was not part of the 10, now becomes the 8th. So it's, it's pretty fascinating. That's birth pang 7. All right, so covenant brokered with Israel brings false peace. And it's false because it's not going to last and because ultimately why is Antichrist doing this to begin with? Jesus talks about it in Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. Paul <coughs> references it in 2 Thessalonians 2. What is the one event that Antichrist is looking forward to doing? Something very, very similar that happened in history in 168 B.C. with Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He's going to go into the temple and declare himself to be God. Yes, right. he will. He will. That's Antichrist desperately will want that temple to be built. And so in order for that to be built, there has to be peace. Does the temple have to be built? Now, the whole temple doesn't need to be built. What can be built is simply to know exactly where the Holy of Holies right. is. Yes. And see, that's my interpretation. Sure. Because he talks about going into the uh, the Holy, you know, and a lot of folks think it's the Dome of the Rock. Oh, So okay. he can go in there. Right. And but, he has, but he has to do it when Israel rededicates a new temple yeah. to Jehovah. Yeah. Because he can't it says do it he, while yeah. the Dome of the Rock is standing. He'll bring an end well, to the sacrifice. Well, it may be part of the peace. Yeah, exactly. And like I said last week, that they, you know, they agreed to share the. It's possible the because that's absolutely possible because that's what the current pope is working toward with Chrislam. He wants this huge, uh, I don't know, complex where all three major religions—Christianity, right. Islam, and Judaism—can all meet and worship together uh, on the same It could be the result of some archaeological find. Or it could be. And, yes. and Yes, sir. Yes, yes. Sir. Now, when, when will the sacrifice, the animal sacrifice, will that play a part in this? I think so, because once they build the temple, at least to the point where they can start doing sacrifices again, then they will start doing sacrifices again. Right. Absolutely. And that's yes. the abomination of desolation. Yes, because in order, then the high priest will go in just like normal. I mean, this is what's really fascinating because the Jews today, as you know, they can't do anything right. related to the sacrifices. So once they get permission that they know that there's peace, they don't have to worry about missiles being lobbed in, suicide bombers and all that. They will, and by the way, they do have um, every item they need now 
to completely redo the temple, remake it. They have every item they need. The last thing they did, um, I don't know if they have the red heifer, but they, they have everything, including the uh, altar with stones from that were not carved, weren't chipped, nothing, they just carried it. So well, they have already practicing. Yes, sir. Samaria is where they have a right. full scale temple. They're already temple practicing the sacrifice uh, yep. process. Yes, and they've got um, they've got all the priests that have been dedicated over there in the Sumerian temple, where they have the build up, the model of it, and they're all trained in how to do everything. They already know how to do it. Well, some one of their leaders recently pronounced that they don't necessarily need the red heifer. Okay. To begin. Okay. Yeah, the sacrifices. Okay. And. I, I, you know, it's, again, that's an abomination, right? Because you know they're not following the law. Exactly. You know, they're making it up as they go around. Yeah, because that's a sin offering is the heifer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They. Oh, absolutely. And and they don't see a problem with that. The Orthodox Jews in Israel are literally beside themselves because they they can taste this so badly. They want this to happen, really. And and we have to understand, as Paul says, they're blind. Why? For our benefit. If they had not been blinded, the gospel would not have been extended to us except through the nation of Israel. So there, we have reason to be glad and gracious. So that's why we should always pray for Israel, pray for Jews, pray for Jerusalem. So when this happens, the world is going to see peace at last. And of course, the peace is going to be short-lived. It's the middle point of the tribulation is when Paul says that the abomination of desolation occurs in the temple where the Antichrist will literally waltz in and unlike Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who brought in a statue of Zeus and then slaughtered a pig on the altar and sprinkled the blood around and then took a face mask, some historians say, and put it, face mask that looked like his own, and put it over that statue of Zeus. Antichrist isn't going to do that. He's just going to walk in and sit down on the mercy seat covering the Ark of the Covenant, which I'm assuming they'll remake again in some fashion. And there he will go, I'm God, worship me. And that's when the false prophet will say, hey, you know what? You need to worship him. And to show and prove your loyalty, you need to get this mark, either here or here. And those who don't, we're executing you because you're holding the earth back. So... But it's interesting because when you read the text closely, when it talks about the mark of the beast, I think it's in uh, Revelation 13, the implication is that people will clamor for that. Yeah. They will want it that badly. And um, Thomas Constable talks about the fact that in Roman times, the soldiers, when they had such a fierce loyalty and love for their commander, they would go and get his name tattooed on their forehead or their forearm. That, to them, was the highest compliment they could give their commander. I mean, and they did it willingly. They were never forced to. They did it willingly. And for them, it was a lifetime commitment. Until I die, I am dedicated. You have my allegiance. And, you know, Antiochus Epiphanes was that type of guy. He was able to take people in the palm of his hand and just, it's just fascinating, the, the history I've read about him. So, peace destroyed, of course, by the start of the tribulation, but the peace with Israel and the surrounding nations will continue to exist. 
even though there are going to be plenty of um, events in the tribulation that um, happen to create disruptions in peace. There's, I mean, you, you've read them as well as I have. All the, uh, the first six, the six, sorry, the seven seals, and then we've got the seven, you know, um, trumpets, no. Bowls. Bowl, bowls and trumpets, yeah. So the, you got 21 judgments, and they're all happening, boom, like this. And as there's implication as we get through Scripture and through Revelation, that as we get closer to the end, things happen more with more rapidity, more quickly, boom, 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 boom. It's like no let up. It's, va it's fascinating stuff. So the Great Tribulation, Matthew 24. Then we've got a second three and a half years. Now, I want to say something about this. I know that some folks um, believe that, the that tribulation is only like three and a half years. But what we need, here's where I'm coming from. When we look at, um, and by the way, there's some excellent expositors, Bible expositors, who believe that it's only three and a half years. So I don't have a bone to pick with that. That's fine. I'm simply saying, when we look closely at the text in Matthew 24, it appears like Jesus is making a distinction between the, the tribulation and what he calls the great tribulation, which happens or starts as soon as Antichrist goes into the temple, sits down, and says, I am God in the flesh. So, I look at it, it's going to be a seven-year period. And the reason it's a seven-year period, because I wish we could spend time in Daniel, but, but that's where it is. That's where it's first mentioned. In it Daniel says, and 9, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But one in week. the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering right on the wing of abomination. What verse was that again? That is 927. 27. So... That whole context of chapter 9 in Daniel is dealing with weeks. And the week there is clearly a seven-year period. So that's where I get this. And, and I understand the reasoning behind why some theologians say, well, no, it's really only three and a half years. So I'm going to leave that to you. I, I don't want to... We can discuss it if you want. But I'm not here to change anybody's opinion. I'm simply here to say, this is where I fall. I believe the, the tribulation starts... And it's three and a half years. Um, then the second half of it, which is 1,260 days, I believe. Something, you know, so the book of Revelation, when we get there, yeah, is very, very specific in yeah. how many months, how many days. It's mainly talking about the second half of the tribulation. And then, of course, you have this, which we'll get to, when it says, and if those days had not been shortened, no flesh would have survived. And what does that mean? Well, we'll discuss that when we get there. So, anyway... Mm. Here we go. Birth pang eight. Here's the period of peace and false security. It almost in some ways looks kind of like now, doesn't it? In a way, yeah. we don't have the peace yet, but you know, we've got what's happening in the world. It's kind of unnerving. And yet, if you don't focus on what's happening in the world and you just look at your community, like Mark says, we're in our little pipe bubble. I like this bubble. Yeah. Um, it feels good, you know? I mean, I, I really enjoy this. Considering that my wife and I spent half our lives married in left-wing California. So, you know, we got out of there because we were like fish out of water and because we were conservatives. And fortunately, we lived in the most conservative county in the state at the time. But still, it, it, just the upheaval and then the cost of living was absolutely ridiculous. 
So we came here and it's like, wow, these people actually love God. They like the American flag. They're, they carry guns. <laughs> Let me ask you something. Yes, sir. The scripture says he will confirm a, a treaty for a week. Yes. Now, is the language of the treaty going to say, okay, we're going to have this seven-year period? Yep. What's going to happen at the end of the seven-year period, though? Is oh, well, reevaluated. Well, it, it might have that verbiage in it, but but what I think is going to happen, it's never going to get that far anyway. Yeah, well, he's going to he's yeah. going to basically renege all the day. Of course, yeah, yeah. just like Antiochus Epiphanes did. Right. Yes. Like so you can sit there and say, "Hey, I'm going to get you guys peace for 14 years. How about that? How's that sound? Oh, great, cool. Sign on the line. Three and a half years into it." He's going to go, heh, heh, and he's just going to pull the rug out. Right. That's the way I look at it. All right, so we've got this happening. First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 3, false peace and security. That's birth pain 8. All right. Yep, sorry. I'll put them all up. So birth pain 9, the covenant... Did I repeat myself here? Yeah, so 8 was the false security. Nine right, is, right, nine sorry. Is the this is the covenant, covenant. brokered. And it lasts three and a half years in the tribulation. Antichrist breaks the covenant. As soon as he defiles the temple, the, the Orthodox Jews are going to go, Oh, we've been had. We have been had. And when Jesus says, Run, when that happens, when you see the abomination that desolates, yeah. don't even go into your down into your house. What, that's an interesting statement there. Because he's talking about people that are on the roof of their homes, which is very common in Jerusalem. Uh, that's where people go to relax. They, they go to just enjoy their food after dinner, whatever. So don't even go down into your house to get your coat. Run to the hills. And we know that that happened in A.D. 70. But we also know that Jesus was looking way down the road and... Uh, as a matter of fact, the Jews that who survived A.D. 70 survived because they followed those instructions. It's going to be the same thing at the end when the uh, Antichrist waltzes in to the temple, declares himself God, and what's interesting is God doesn't take him out at that point. He allows it to go. But anyway, the, the Jews will be totally aware, and they'll go, whoa. And this is exactly what happened with Antiochus Epiphanes. When he did what he did, ultimately it started the Maccabean Revolt. Because he not only did that to the temple, but he wound up slaughtering a number of priests and a whole bunch of Jews. And then... Um, a million. Yes. Supposedly. Tons, all of Jerusalem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you got the Maccabees, which gathered, and they were, they were zealots, and they were going to defend the temple, they were going to defend God's honor... And so God gave them the victory, ultimately. Um, so from that point on, it is really the great tribulation. So for another three and a half years, or when Jesus returns, Antichrist will hunt down all of God's children. All of them. Um, what's interesting here? Did I say? Oh, no. We'll, we'll get to that. In a minute. So that's birth pang nine. All right. So we've got nine. And as I say, reiterating, only these three have occurred yet. These have not occurred yet, but, but we can easily see how they could. Yeah. We could easily, it's not far-fetched to think, well, this could happen. 
seems like we're moving toward a one-world government here somehow, especially when you find out that Klaus Schwab, uh, who was mentored by Henry Kissinger, Herman Kahn, and John Gabriel, Gabriel, Galbraith. Are they all Jews? Some of them are, I know yes. Kissinger is. Yes, Kissinger is. It sounds like is. Schwab might be as well. Oh he's, he's, oh, he's a Jew. But he's also very interesting because he was a Nazi under Hitler. His family were, they were Nazis. His, his father worked for a munitions company in yes. Switzerland that sold, sold yeah. weapons to Hitler. Yeah, it's just incredible. Isn't it fascinating the way Satan literally uses Jews to attack Often, Israel and humanity at large. I mean, isn't that fascinating? It's just, he's not stupid. He is not stupid. Um, we need to give credit where credit is due, but everything he does is allowed by God. So we've got all this stuff happening, and we're only here. So, by signing the covenant, this is why this is such a terrible thing as far as God is concerned. When Israel signs the covenant, which is brokered by Antichrist, they will, in essence, as far as God is concerned, literally be selling their souls to the devil. They will be signing a pact with Satan. They're unaware of this. But we also know how many times in the Old Testament, Jews did similar things by entering into commitments with other peoples that God said, no, I want them destroyed because their cup of wrath is full. They have sacrificed children after children after children. They have worshipped demons. They have given them every chance to repent. You weren't there for that, Israel, but believe me, I've given them. Now it's too late. They need to be gone from the land, physically. And instead of doing that, Israel would say, well, all right, let, let's just... Let's just make peace with them. They'll be our servants. And that always came back to haunt them. So the Antichrist, you're saying, you might say, well, wait, they're just signing with this, this guy here. But this guy is so is fully empowered, as we know from the writings of Paul. He is fully empowered by Satan. Satan gives him all of his authority. And as I mentioned don't forget, during the tribulation, this will be Satan's moment to shine where he imitates the Trinity. Satan playing God the Father, Antichrist playing Jesus Christ, the false beast portraying or being, representing the um, Holy Spirit, always directing attention to the Antichrist, always encouraging, always demanding, worship him, worship him, worship him. Well, this Holy Spirit does that too by constantly pointing us to God the Father. So Antichrist is the devil incarnate, and this is literally blasphemy as far as God is concerned. That's not hard for us to fathom. This is the worst form of idolatry because they will literally be entering into a covenant with him. Absolutely horrendous, and they don't realize it. It's because of the blindness. But... The graciousness of God, because when at the midway point of the tribulation, Antichrist proves who he really is. The Jews, the ones who have their eyes open at that point, will realize what has happened. And they will head to the hills. And God will protect them for the remainder of the tribulation. And guess what? That is the remnant. Yeah. 
that God will call from the entire Jewish nation and the entire body of Jewish people on the earth, that will be the remnant that will survive the tribulation and go into the millennial kingdom. Where, what will happen? They will be embracing and the fulfillment of the entire Abrahamic covenant then, which has never been completely fulfilled. So he... That's Sorry? 144,000. Yes. The 144,000, yeah, it starts with them. Those are the evangelists. And you know what's fascinating about that? You look at Paul. This guy was steeped in the scriptures. Steeped in it. He could probably say it in his sleep and recite it frontwards and backwards. And yet, he was totally blind to the truth of who the scriptures pointed to. Correct? Yeah. When Jesus got hold of him on the road to Damascus, and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, who are you, sir, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you persecuted. From that moment, his eyes were open. And all of a sudden, can you imagine this? Everything he knew about Judaism, about Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, everything he knew about God, the temple, everything, all of a sudden, his God took his viewpoint and simply went, that's what's going to happen to those 144,000 Jews who are right now, if the tribulation were to happen within their lifetime, steeped in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures because of their Orthodox Judaism, the Hasidic Jews, the other Orthodox Jews. Those men, those men, when they, are, when they have their eyes open, they will be so ready to do whatever God tells them to do. They will understand their missions. They will be ready to die for Christ without blinking an eye. Without blinking an eye. I mean, that, they will just, they will be phenomenal. They will be fearless. They will have foreheads of flint. The, insults, nothing. Nothing will affect them. Their, their love, adoration, commitment to Christ will be such that they will just be consumed with fulfilling. I would love to be there. <laughs> Wouldn't you? We will be. But God will begin pouring out his wrath. Revelation 6 begins the description of 21 judgments. 21 judgments. And you know, it's really interesting. I'm reading about some of the stuff that's happening in the world, some of the stuff, and I'm not even talking about COVID, although that could possibly play into some of this, the vaccines or whatever, but I'm, I'm not necessarily. I'm talking about some of the things that scientists want to do with the environment. And I'm thinking to myself, do they have a clue? Or, or in the case of a non-scientist like Bill Gates, he wants to send up a rocket and put sun, dust in, in the air to block the sun's rays or something. It's like, could some of those things, if they, if they manage to do them, could some of those things be part of some of these judgments? I mean, you, you can't do something like that without having some kind of effect afterwards. Who knows? It's just really interesting. Three seals, three trumpets. Sorry. I was wrong. Seals. Seals, trumpets, bowls. These should be, this number three really means seven. <laughs>
sorry about that. Look at that. <laughs> seven seals, seven trumpets. I'll correct that before I put it up there. And seven bowls. Twenty-one judgments. Three times seven. That's three. That was three. it. <laughs> World War One, and I want to get through this um, real quick because this is all just summary. Yeah. So I don't think we need to go over it. That's the summary. And again, I will put this up with a link. I'll send you the link, and then. Um, you can download the notes if you care to, or just look at it, whatever you want to do. So the nine birth pangs lead up to the tribulation, then we will see tremendous persecution. That's starting. And we're also seeing this big time. Many professing Christians and the rest will turn in off that. I mean, we're starting to see this in other countries, sadly. Yeah. I don't know if you ever pay attention. You probably do, I'm sure. Um, missionaries and some of the missionary organizations that are putting out prayer requests and letters and some of the stuff that the missionaries are having to deal with. Um, this is interesting. You're familiar with this verse as well as I am. Jesus says those who persevere to the end will be saved. And he's not talking about salvation here. He's talking about um, they'll be saved from um, losing rewards. That's what we live for, don't we? I mean, not really. I don't, I don't mean to make it sound like that. But as Christians, we have salvation that can never be taken from us. So we live to serve Christ. And in doing so, he is gracious enough to give us rewards as we, quote, unquote, earn them by doing things in his strength and selflessly. But what I find fascinating is when we get into the heavenly portal, as shown in Revelation, what did those people do with their crowns? They take them off and they gently toss them at his feet. Because they, we know. What did we do to earn a reward? How did I get this? You know, by your grace, Lord. I love what Alistair begged that little clip two weeks ago. Not because I, because he, right? Because he. That's, yeah, that's... that's. All right. So, after the bird, let's see. I don't know that I need to go over this, but... Uh, this is important to me. Matthew 12, 29 says, Satan would have to overpower the strong man in us. And who is that? God. God. I've yeah. talked to people who believe you can lose your salvation. I said, how can you lose your salvation? When the Bible says this, he goes, yeah. He goes, when Jesus says, no one can take you out of my hand. Right. I said, what do you do with that? And he goes, well, but that doesn't mean I can't walk away. And I said, yes, it does. <laughs> it absolutely does. Because you are not strong enough to turn your back on God and walk away and he will let you. Not if you're his. It simply doesn't work like that. You're not inclined to do it either. No, you're right. I mean, we may get really periods low in our life. You know, I feel like the Lord, what's going on? But no, he will not leave us there. We are sealed when? Till tomorrow? No. Till the day of redemption. When is that? After I die. Boom. That's my redemption. So the so the spirit of God will be raptured up with us. Oh, that's a good discussion. <laughs> oh, that's a good question. Oh, I see what you're saying. So that after the rapture, there's no spirit. They, Paul says the implication is that he will simply move out of the way. He will move out of the way. Is he the restrainer? Yeah, I, yeah. I believe he is. Yeah. But, I believe he is as well. But yeah. there are some really so imagine good... imagine the evil that will go on. Yes, but there are some really good arguments in favor of it being other things. I just happen to believe that Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit. I really wish when Paul said, don't you remember 
when I told you about those things, I wish at that point he would say, look, let me reiterate for you. The things he I told you. He just said, look, no. you know, but it is what it is. Well, I, I mean, think he may remain for the one four, the 144,000. Oh, he's, he's definitely not working. But yeah. kind of like a, a dam. Here's the dam holding back the water. And then the dam has moved out of the way. The dam's still here. It's just moved off to the side. And the Holy Spirit still works. Some commentators believe it's going to kind of go back to a period like the Old Testament when the Holy Spirit came upon people but didn't necessarily indwell them. But it's, if they're it's, saved, though, they're, they're saved. If they're saved. Well, David was saved. Yeah. Those people in the Old Testament were saved. But the Holy Spirit did simply not indwell them. He came upon them. But they were sealed. Um, what does he mean? So we talked about this. We talked yeah. about that. And everyone during Jesus' day, when he heard him say, abomination of desolation, knew exactly what that meant. Okay, I, I don't need to go over yeah, this. Yeah, because we're going to cover that. We are going to cover this. Now, what I need to do is ask you in our last two minutes here. Um, um, well, let's close in prayer, and then I'll ask you what you want to do. All right, Lord, thanks for this day. Thanks for this time. Thanks for the beauty of your presence. Thanks for the many blessings you've given us. Um, that, that it's difficult to count sometimes, and we don't sometimes focus on them as we should. But I thank you for your word. Thank you for the time we've had tonight. Help us ruminate on these things and find out from you and your word how you would have us live. And in light of what's happening in the world today, we thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.